Thank you for joining us for another episode of In the Pursuit of. This season's pursuit is Blackness and the exploration of Black identity across the globe. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In the Pursuit of. Today's episode, we're discussing In Between Worlds, and we're really fortunate to have our guest joining us today. We have uh, Jennifer Dalou. We have Josimel de la Cruz and Joanna Velarde. Jennifer Dalou is a higher education academic and student affairs administrator. Through her work and advocacy, she facilitates dialogue around diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. She coordinates service and leadership programs. Jennifer also services her faith community with the marriage ministry as a worship leader and small connect group administrator. Welcome, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to have you. Josimel de la Cruz currently works for New York Council member Fernando Cabrera. She has worked extensively with at-risk and homeless children, diverse populations of young people with mental and behavioral needs, as well as with young victims of human trafficking. During her time as a youth development specialist with Covenant House, she worked to implement holistic and restorative programs to help youth offenders. She's traveled to the Amazon, Peru, Dominican Republic, and Haiti as a missionary, meeting the medical and spiritual needs of the local populations. She's also actively worked as a young adult leader at her local church, New Life Bronx. Welcome, Josima. Thank you. And finally, we have with us today, Joanna Velarde. Joanna brings a dynamic, diverse background stemming from two decades of leadership roles in sales, business development, and nonprofit management, as well as expertise in media production. Joanna has produced content for PBS, Univision, Style Network, Population Media Center, Democratic National Committee, among others. Joanna was most recently named the Executive Director of the Sales Enablement Society. Prior to joining the Sales Enablement Society, Joanna serviced the commercial and multifamily real estate industry, where she served as a business development manager for Allied Universal. Joanna credits much of her prof professional success to the convergence of dual careers. She believes that we are multifaceted individuals and must embrace all our layers to help us reach our true potential. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you. Welcome to you all. Thank you so much for joining this conversation called In Between Worlds. And as you know, on this podcast, we really discuss the perspectives of Black identity across the globe. And in this particular segment, we want to explore the identity, that, that in-between identity that exists of being Afro-Latina, not only of being Afro-Latina within a community, within a community, but also to explore growing up in the United States of America and having one foot in America and one foot in the country of origin. So thank you very much for being a part of this conversation. Let's get started. So if each of you can tell me where you're from, where your parents from, and uh, we can use that as a jumping off point. Um, I am from the United States of America, born and raised in um, New York City. And um, my mother was born here in the United States. She's the only one out of her siblings. And my dad was born in um, 
Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Hi, I'm also um, from the Dominican Republic. I was actually born in the Dominican Republic. Um, so I'm first generation um, immigrant to the United States. Um, and my mother and father are both from the Dominican Republic. And I am from Southern California. I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, both of my parents are from Peru and they immigrated here when they were in their early 20s um, and started a new life here. So I was born here. Nice. Welcome. Welcome. So tell me, what, what neighborhoods were you uh, born into? Where did you grow up? Uh, and what was that like? What was that experience? Did you grow up in a neighborhood that was predominantly a Latino community? Did you? What kind of neighborhood did you grow up in? So um, I grew up in the South Bronx, uh, which is a diverse neighborhood. You find people of different cultures and ethnicities and races. So I feel that the Bronx itself is sort of like um, like a you know large scale, bigger picture, a smaller picture of like the bigger um, U.S. kind of culture in that sense. I feel that I was very much connected to my community and felt very comfortable in that community um, just because of the diversity in the Bronx. So I um, was born in Washington Heights, which is basically Dominicanville because there's a lot of Dominican. But I grew up in Spanish Harlem, also known as El Barrio. Um, and there were a lot of um, Latinos in, from where I, I grew up at. Yeah. I was born uh, in Hollywood, uh, actually, and grew up just in like, L, like the general L.A. area. Um, and I did grow up with some Latinos in my community, but it was so mixed. L.A. is just a massively diverse culture. Um, and so ironically, like the majority of the kids that I went to school with were actually Filipino. I grew up with a ton of Filipino kids, some Latino kids. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a, a little bit of a mix growing up. So Joanna, you mentioned that you grew up in Hollywood and it was a predominantly a Filipino community. Does that mean you grew up eating Filipino food more than, or was, did you grow up eating Latino food in the household, clothing? Like, what were the influences on you for all of you? Yeah, d uh, definitely. I, you know, because I grew up with so, such a, um, sorry. Okay, so because I grew up with just um, a huge Filipino community, I ended up loving Filipino food. I, I still do to this day. It's one of my favorite foods. Um, I went to the Philippines, like we you know, I was heavily involved in a church growing up that was a Filipino church. I sang in their choir. I mean, just culturally, it's just, it has such a warm place in my heart because it represents so much of where I grew up. Because I didn't grow up with a ton of other Latinos, specifically Latinos who look like me, right? So like when I talk about Latinos in, um, in LA and Southern California, it's oftentimes referred to specifically like the Mexican American culture. And so even then, like there wasn't that huge um, feeling like, oh, they look like me. So in my house, it was like Peruvian central. Like it was like, everything was like Peru, like, <laughs> you know, and even like the foods that I grew up eating. Um, but just outside of that little Peruvian bubble, you know, and our very small knit community. I mean, I was exposed to tons of different types of um, other cultures. Yeah. Do you think more so because you had to represent for all of Peru? They're like, you're like, there's not a lot of us here. We've got to represent. <laughs> 
Yes. I always feel like I'm like the Peruvian ambassador. Like all of my friends who have never had Peruvian food before, I love being the first person to take them to, to, to eat lomo saltado and tallarín verde and like try chicha morada. Like I, I, yeah, always, always. I'm like, you've never had Peruvian food. Oh my gosh. Even for Christmas, eating panetón and hot chocolate is a, is a thing. It's part of our tradition in, in Peru. It's, it stems from like Italian um, traditions. And in Peru, there's a huge influx of different cultures. I mean, Peru is representative of, of uh, quite a, a diversity. And uh, even for Christmas, like to my friends, I'm all, you get a panetón, you get a panetón. <laughs> so very, I'm like super Peruvian proud because I didn't grow up with a lot of it. So I, it's amazing. Know. Jennifer and Bussi, how about how was it? Well, I, it. I wanted to say that for me, I can relate to um Joanna. So in my neighborhood, yes, they were Latinos, but as far as Dominicans, we were a minority within the um community because it was mostly Puerto Ricans, Mexicans. It was like the little groups of um Latinos. Um, my favorite food is oxtails. Um, in Spanish, it's called rabo, and anything rice and beans. If if there's no rice and beans and uh, meat in my meal is not a true meal to me. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, and that's right. Yes, right. Rice is everything to me, which is an issue. Yeah. But um, yeah. But besides that, in terms of dressing, <laughs> dressing growing up, I did not continue. I did not grow up with the traditional Dominican attire. Um. So yeah, it just it wasn't cool to me growing up. Yeah. You said food is everything, and it, it really is. I think for us, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, if you didn't have like three, four starches on your plate, you weren't doing this right. <laughs> you know? like That's amazing. Yeah. So good. <laughs> you need the, what is it? The maduros. Then you need the mac and cheese. And then you need, there was so many different starches on the plate. And then you need the rice. Yeah, some papa, some rice. Yes. yes. <laughs> Give me all the carbs. <laughs> So what does being Latina mean to you growing up in America? And then compare that to the times that you've gone to your, I don't, do you, do you view them as home countries? Like what is your relationship to the country of origin of maybe your parents? So what does that mean to you in America? And then how do you view your relationship to the country of origin? Yeah. So for me, um, it's very interesting because I grew up speaking Spanish in my household, right? Um, so a lot of my Latinidad and Latina identity is kind of like rooted in language and what that meant. Um, so going to school, you know, I was going to bilingual classes and I didn't get to go to like English class until third grade. So at home we spoke Spanish and then in school is like, I'm trying to navigate and learn English. Um, and in media and TV and with friends is all in English. So a lot of that was rooted with like culture and just like the family itself and like being like a tight family, um, community. So it came from like the music. Um, I know we were talking about food, but music in Latino culture, at least like Dominican culture, like bachata merengue is very much like a lot of what kind of like unifies you, I would say, as a as a community. Um, and those were the kind of things that I grew up with, like listening to Spanish music and, you know, um, 
you know, we mentioned eating the rice and beans, which definitely is like a staple um, in our food. But uh, my experience is unique that I came here when I was three years old and I didn't go back to DR. Um, only three occasions I've been to DR in my entire life, right? So I went back when I was five, eight, and then I didn't go back until I was 30 years old as an adult. And I took my son with me because I wanted him to kind of, you know, uh, you know, get a sense of who DR, you know, like understanding DR and what, you know, Dominican culture is. Um, so a lot of it is based on what I have from my family, what they've taught me, um, because I feel part of me felt like I was more American than Dominican, you know, and it was sort of like, besides the food and the music, a lot of my experience is like the American experience. Um, so that's unique because sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm not as Dominican. I don't know a lot about the history, you know, about DR. Or like, you know, I didn't go to school there. So a lot of the history is kind of lost in terms of understanding the country. Um, and a lot of that I had to do myself as an adult to kind of learn more about it. Um, so it's unique in that sense because when I went back, you kind of don't feel like this is my country because it's been so long since I've been there. So it's that displacement of like, you don't feel like that's your country anymore, but you still have these cultures and traditions you know, within your everyday life. So that's kind of unique for me. Uh, Joanna, how about you? Have you been back to to visit Peru? Do you go back often? And I, I understand the sentiment um, that uh, um, that was just shared insofar as feeling sort of when you go to the home country of origin, really feeling like uh, not really a part of the scene. Was that a similar sentiment for you growing up in America or was it different? I actually have only been to Peru twice and I only remember once. Um, it was the last time. So I went when I was a baby and then the last time that I went, I was five. And my my parents were the only uh, family, I mean, that we have from, from Peru. They, they immigrated here and all of our other family stayed in Peru. So growing up, I wrote letters and, you know, tried to have a, a relationship with my cousins, with my aunts and so forth. Um, and so, you know, it was just us four. It's like the small nuclear family growing up in LA. And so I think that because we we didn't go back to Peru, you know, my parents, it's all they knew. So it was like such an influx of culture at home. I mean, from the food to um, Jennifer, like you said, the music, absolutely. On Saturdays, it was like salsa. It was like Willy Colon and Tito Puentes and like, you know, and Celia Cruz. And it's just like, that was such a big part of my identity um, for, for you guys, like, you know, rice and beans. Heck yes. You know, for us, it's lentejas, lentejas and arroz blanco. I mean, that is like a staple. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think um, also the other thing about language, you know, I grew up speaking Spanish first before I learned English and because the culture at home was, there was such a strong love for, for a Peruvian culture, like being really little, I didn't understand that I wasn't from Peru. So when people would ask me, yeah, when people would ask me, Oh, where are you from? I used to say from Peru. And my dad actually would get kind of upset and he would like train me like, no, you're from the U S you know? And I was like, but I'm from Peru. And he's like, you're not, you're proving American. And it's interesting to me now. I understand why, you know, like the struggle that they had to move here to make sure that I was American, but like still like tied to my roots. But he was like, you're American with like Peruvian, um, you know, history. So, but, but the whole Latinidad, I do want to address that because, you know, I think culture is how you feel about it. And our Latinidad is not just defined by knowing the history, knowing the language. And I say that because my daughter is 13 and she is like a thousand percent Latinidad. 
Filipina and loves the culture, like loves everything about it. And she identifies so much, like specifically with the Peruvian culture, but she didn't pick up the language because my husband doesn't speak Spanish. And so when she feels bad about that, like, am I really Latina? I'm a mommy. You are like more Latina than like some of these other people I know. So Latinidad is culture. It's hearts, right? It's not just defined by certain things. Um, being Latina to me is like, what it means to me is like being a good jar of sofrito. <laughs> sofrito is a, a homemade seasoning um, that we make. And I say that because I feel like it brings flavor and uniqueness in all spaces. Um, and it's it's a wow factor for me because um, when people first meet me, they don't think I'm Latina. Um, and so when I burst out speaking Spanish or just, you know, whatever the case is, it's, for me, is a wow factor. And it opens up conversation. Um, and it's also like being Latina is culture for me. Um, and it's something that I love and I embrace. Um, and I'm very, very thankful and blessed to be born into, into this. So, yeah. I like that idea that you all spoke about in terms of it being cultural, especially if uh, you're, you don't live in the country of origin. Because even for myself, being born in the country, but having spent many years outside of it, whenever you return, it's sort of like, am I still this? Like what? So, so the idea of being in between two worlds, you know, this is where your culture and your heritage and everything came from. But as you have more influences outside of that space, you, you do ask yourself, am I still this? So what, 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 what am I, or what are you in this new sphere? Cause you are Latina but you're also American. So I guess, and you're all, all of those influences that have, that, that have come because of the neighborhoods that you've grown up in. So I like the definition being that it's, it's very cultural. It's a spirit uh, because now there's a lot of geographical travel. And so, but that doesn't mean that you lose the spirit of what it is to be Latina. So I like that very much. Can you tell me, when did you first become aware of this, of this sentiment that you were, uh, Afro-Latina when did that idea first make its way to you because you know growing up you're, you're Latina when did, the, when did it first come to your own attention that you were a part of another subset within the Latino community Latino community I, I think I became aware that I was specifically Afro-Latina when, uh, when I was a young girl because I didn't look like my mom I looked like my dad, right? And so, and, and my mom um, looked almost Eastern European. She was very light-skinned, she had hazel eyes, she had kind of like wavy dark hair. People thought she was maybe Armenian, Middle Eastern. And then I was this, you know, really dark little girl with curly hair and I looked just like my dad. My dad looks black. And um, and I remember walking down the street one day with my mom. We, we were out, you know, doing some shopping or something. And then this man said to my mom, he's like, don't keep her from us. She's one of us. And he was, and he was a, a, a this, this, this black man, a black homeless man. And my mom was like, what the, and she like grabbed my hand tighter across <laughs> the street. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know? And it was like, it's like, he called out to me that like, she's one of us, like thinking that I was this little black girl. And so I was like, huh, huh. Like I, it, it, it and that was such a like poignant moment. And, um, and uh, yeah, my dad was had always taught us about um, about our culture, and we became very involved in this like Peruvian um, religious 
um, tr you know, tradition called El Señor de los Milagros in Peru. And there is a huge Afro-Latino um, community in Peru. And so growing up with that and seeing people who looked like me, like they, you know, like we, like for us, like we say like, oh, like, so negritos, right? Like when they look like us, we are somos negritos. And I'm like, then oh, they speak Spanish too. And they talk like me. And, and it was just amazing. Um, and so, yeah, understanding that about yourself is, is so special. And definitely want to ask, just follow up on that. So you're like somos negritos. When, when, when the word negritos is used, is it used in a celebratory, celebratory way? Because very often just that word alone. And so that's what we're exploring when that is used. Do you feel a sense of pride or is it a, is it a means of isolating or isolating you from the group? Like what was your experience? So no, a, a sense of pride, definitely not like in a derogatory way, like so negritos, like negritos, like, um, I mean, gosh, even like, like the term, how it's used, like, uh, you know, ser negra, ser ne somos negritos, like at least, uh, you know, no, I, I, everything like my heart, it's like, it's like celebratory. It's in a beautiful way. It's like, um, in an inclusive way. I mean, now even more so, I think there's like more acceptance and knowledge about it. I mean, there's even, um, this like artist, you know, she's gorgeous and she's finally like making a breakthrough on like the scene called Amara La Negra. I don't know if you're familiar with who she is. She is incredible and wow i mean to bring that to the scene to be like no to be negro to be negra negrito negrita is like such a beautiful part of who we are and it means you've celebrated and explored more and accepted more um so a lot of pride behind it from our from where i i come absolutely from. absolutely josie jennifer dive in so you can start with the question of when did you first realize you were afro-latina and then dive into to um more of like the idea of being negrita and what does that mean yeah I was just gonna comment um you know in my family growing up like my very similar to Joanna my mom is light-skinned and fair and so are my siblings and then my dad is a dark-skinned man um but I grew up in like a single parent household so I didn't have that constant you know uh father figure of like okay this is somebody that looks like me right um but in my household, I was like la negra and my dad was el negro, right? That was like a term of endearment that my aunt kind of like, those were our nicknames, you know, pretty much growing up. Until this day, she used to be like, yeah, mi negra. Like, you know, that's what she calls me. So that's sort of like when I realized or looking at family pictures, like, oh, I'm not the same as my siblings. You know, a lot of it was just like looking at the color of our skin. And part of me growing up in a way kind of always felt oh, you know, what's wrong with me in a sense? Because I was like, I feel like I'm not part of my family because they all look so different from me. And my mother tells me the story. I used to ask her, like, was I, am I this color because I was born in DR? You know, like, you know, as a little girl, like thinking, is that why I'm this color? Because I was born there and they were born here, you know? A lot of time in the sun. Is that what's going on, <laughs> So, and, and, you know, and I remember those little conversations, but I think the word Afro-Latina wasn't something that I was familiar with until I went to college. And that's when I started, you know, seeing that that was an actual group of people. And it was because of my experience of like, being a black Latina, but not having the same experience as my African American friends, you know, that I grew up with, right? And I'm like, okay, I want to explore this. I know there are people that look like me that are Latino that are in this community. And what what is that, you know, so that's sort of like my first introduction to like, actually the term Afro Latina. Um, my first introduction to Afro Latina was in 2018. And it was because of Amara La Negra as well. I was in the Dominican Republic, for my grandma's birthday and she had just released a song um and it was it was um 
it was big in the Dominican Republic. So that was my first experience. Um, I did not identify at that moment as Afro-Latina. Um, and the reason why is because it's just something I, had, I hadn't heard about. It's been something that my family even to this day has embraced. So it's just more of, um, I guess, us, this new generation, the American generation, so to speak, um, embracing it. And um, yeah, that's just, it's, it, that's, that's my experience with it. Can, can I add something to that? That's so interesting that you say that you specifically said that the American generation has embraced that. Yes, because there is still so much discrimination and um, like colorism and all these things back in the motherland where we, you know, we, we have this like new mindset as being Americans, like, yeah, like, right. This, this um, inclusivity, like this, this, this striving for inclusivity and equity and all that is a totally American thing that we are so accepting of like our Afro Latinidad. That is, that is a U.S. American uh, label. I think um, back home, I don't think that there is that, you, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have the same connotation. Yeah, I, I think if I may add now, I think it's more of a liberating um type of movement because um at least in the Dominican Republic, the um the curly hair, coarse hair is just looked down upon. You know, if your hair's not straight, you know, it they kinda you know, they look down on you. So it's definitely a liberating um coming into who you are and embracing your um however you choose to identify as. So it's so interesting that you all talk about this being an American, uh, an American effort in that way, because that's why. So I was surprised to hear you say that when Negrita is used, that it's used in a celebratory way, because when we hear the word black, even within the African-American context, it's 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 often more pejorative than that. Right now, we're having an awakening, which is amazing. Uh, and I'm sure there's been several awakenings in the past as well. but just the association of the word often means lesser than and definitely in well I guess in my own experience I shouldn't say you know uh and definitely when you talk about countries of origin uh from the especially out of coming out of the Caribbean in particular you do get that sense that uh, the so what I my question as just looking on from the outside is that does the afro lessen the latina does the Afro part of it lessen the Latina in 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 the culture itself? And I think you sort of answered a bit of both, sort of like in the country of origin, it does seem to, in terms of you're not quite this, but in terms of the communities that are growing within America and within uh, and with this new sort of movement to celebrate Latinidad in all of its splendor, it's, it's become celebratory. Uh, so you can tell me if I'm... I'm going down the right road there in general. Yeah, I would say for me, um, so the first time I heard the term Afro-Latina was in 2004 before it has become like something mainstream as it has now. Um, and when, you know, I did, it was more like researching people like the Garifonas um, that are in Honduras, right? And like, you know, people like in Cuba and like even Puerto Rico that are more like of that Afro descent, right? Um, when you speak to people in like over Latin America, because the part of being Latino, right? Like the ethnicity part kind of merges and blurs the lines between like the European, the indigenous, and also the black. So the term itself is like a way of like, kind of like erasing the different, right? You know, identities or races. Um, and for me, when I even saw Afro-Latino was a way of like claiming 
that part, right? Of bringing the people in the margins and like in the shadows into the light, right? And saying we are here, we are part of this community, we are Latinos and, you know, and we, and kind of bringing out that and being proud of, you know, the Black culture in, Lat in Latino community. So that's sort of how I interpret it. And I think that's sort of like the way that it's going now in terms of people taking ownership of the term and just using it as a celebratory term. So I don't think it minimizes the Latinidad. I just think it brings out like one aspect that a lot of countries try to kind of keep buried because usually you hear more of the European being celebrated or even the indigenous, right? And this is sort of a way to like bring that out. So in your own experiences uh, growing up here and in adulthood now, in your jobs, in your, in your careers, what has your experience, have you found that being Afro-Latina has helped or hindered your journey um, to where you are now? Can you point to any particular, ha, maybe there's communities that have helped you to get where you are because we have Latina, uh, Latin, do you say, I need to get this right first, because so many people are on the, um, on different sides of this, but I'd like to get your input in terms of, do you say Latino community or are we saying Latinx community or is it safe to say either one or the other? I guess we should have addressed that at the top. <laughs> I think it's different for, for everyone, right? I don't, I, that's what you're comfortable with. I mean, I understand the Latin X, you know, especially I, I totally get that. I personally, um, don't, don't use that typically as my term. I, you know, if I, I'll say Latino community, if I'm referring to everybody, but if I'm just specifically referring to the women, yeah, I'll say Latina. I, I haven't personally adopted Latin X yet. How about you, Josie and Jennifer? That's the, that's the same with me. I say Latino community. I haven't adopted the Latinx as well. Yeah, I would say for me in my work setting, we, you know, we use the Latinx uh, inclusive term um, in terms of like higher education because it is a higher education term. Um, in, uh, but in my general conversation, I use Latino community and I refer to myself as Latina. Excellent. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so back to what we were asking in terms of your career paths and in terms of where you are now, how has being Afro-Latina helped or hindered your trajectory there? Or are you even, even that, is that even something that you're able to discern? I feel like for me, that's not something that comes up in the forefront, right? I feel like people primarily just see me as Latina. Maybe it's because of the language or maybe, but that's usually not something that comes up in conversation. Um, I feel in terms of career wise, right? I feel like personally, like in my personal life, it has more of an impact than in my career. That's the same with me. It, it hasn't, it hasn't come up for me in my career path. I think anytime it came to work, it was just the fact that I speak and understand Spanish. Well, I speak Spanish. Um, but other than that, it hasn't been um, an issue. Um, for me, I'm not sure if, uh, specifically being Afro-Latina has, has um, affected my career in a, in a positive or a negative way. But, uh, but I will definitely say that identifying with connecting and building community with Latinas, specifically Latinas, I'm very involved kind of in this, uh, um, in that community, you know, online with like creatives, etc. Yes, that has opened a lot of doors for me. I think um, it's about elevating each other and amplifying our voices. And there's a huge movement towards that. So um, I, I, I love seeing that because it wasn't something that was embraced. And this, 
inclusiveness uh, about Latinas, that it's not, you know, just one specific um, culture, you know, there's so, there's so much to be celebrated within Latinidad, so. You know, you mentioned culture, and I want to um, take a moment. What are some things you were surprised to find out that is shared across Latino cultures? That when you're like, oh, wait, we do that too. You know, I'm, I'm from Peru. We do that too. Like, what were some moments where you find out, you know, that there are similarities across the, the Latino community? So, for example, the first time that um, we have something in Trinidad called uh, harangue music, and so we don't identify as any any specific, um, I should say we identify primarily with our nationality. So you'll hear us saying we're Trinidadian. You know, we could look like we just came from any one of the original countries, but we identify with uh, the with our nationhood first because we have so we we have so many different cultural influences the spanish the french the british the 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 indian the the everyone you know and uh, and so by identifying with nationality first sometimes we forget where the traditions come from because whether they came from africa india they they're all trinidadian now so the first time that uh, um, I heard, I think it was in college when I came across and we think everything is ours. You know, when you're in your own little Island, you think that this is all yours. So, <laughs> so we would listen to every Christmas. We, we, um, we have a whole culture of parang music where you go door to door and you're like paranging and you, uh, and we even do it in churches. It's like, it, it's, it's huge, uh, at Christmas time. And then I heard us like, wait, La Paranda, what's that? What do you guys do? It's, so it was like, it was, that was my first, like, oh my God, you're like me. And I'm really sappy like that. I gotta tell you, it's like, wait, you do that too. Um, and the, the, the other moment was with, uh, we do pastels. And then just here, but pastels for us is, is more like, oh my gosh, I forget the other name. So it's not like pastel, pasteles. It's like the other one that's similar. Empanada, pastelitos. Not empanadas. It's pastels and the other one that looks, so it's, we put meat inside, like minced meat with capers and olives, but that's not pasteles, right? That's pasteles, yeah. That's pasteles? Is it boiled? Yes, okay, so that that was very exciting as well, too, because you sort of that's when you realize, wait, you share a piece of this culture too, um, and so that those are two moments for me that really got me excited outside of my little bubble, you know, when I realized, oh, this came from here, wait, should I find out more so uh tell me when when did those moments happen for you? Just to go back for what you said about the ethnicity, I think that's very much like in Latin America, like you're Peruvian, you're Dominican, you're that's how the countries themselves or the people in those countries define themselves is like the American, like I guess Latino America Americans that we then say, oh, you know, we kind of try to put those definitions on the on people from those um different nations, but they themselves would say like I'm Dominican first or I'm Puerto Rican, etc. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned the pasteles. Um, for me, like, because I'm a big foodie, it's like, you know, learning platanos and yuca, like, you know, like different cultures use that. Um, I went to um, Guatemala for um, for work. Um, and it was interesting just to kind of see like the meals, like, you know, how 
much of it is so similar, you know, not even to my own country, but just comparing it to like Mexican. And I'm like, I thought tortillas were only like really like more like a Mexican thing and like the frijoles. And this is something that I guess all those countries and like that, um, you know, that Central American and like close to Mexico kind of share. And it was like an eye opener to me because I just always saw it more of like a Mexican, you know, kind of, um, I guess, food or like, um, but when you look at platanos, like even with Haiti and like the roots or where that come from, like when we're talking about Afro-Latinidad, a lot of those roots, like the yuca, the platano, they kind of came from Africa. So the fact that we sort of share that in the Caribbean, I would say like, it, it kind of goes back to that root of like the, the influences of like the diaspora in these countries. For, for me, one of the things that I see similarities to is uh, in music, you know, uh, growing up and seeing Peruvian dance, like traditional folklore, like Peruvian dance, like there's one type of dance that's called like festejo. And I remember thinking like, wow, like it's so different from like salsa and from everything else. And it was like, because it is so rooted in African dance, right? Like so much like shaking and a lot of like, you know, lower hip action, you know, and just beautiful. And I was like, whoa, like, and, and like just in casual talk, it's like, I remember asking my dad about it, like, whoa, what, like they're dancing like that. And he's like, yeah, bailan son como los negritos, bailan como los negritos. And and then learning about it, be like, oh, that is specifically an Afro-Peruvian type of dance. And then when you look at African dance, so the similarities are so gorgeous. And and I think it's so neat to be able to see that a part of yourself and other cultures. And it just reinforces this idea that we're all so interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a joy there. As you mentioned, the music, there's so, so many connections. The first time I heard reggaeton. I was like, this is just soca music in Spanish. <laughs> I could get down with this. And then the very first time I heard like uh, uh, I sh music from Africa uh, at the Barclays Center, the very first time I heard that music, I also thought, I was like, this is soca music. And this is, this is what it means when you're in your own bubble, you have only what you have as a frame of reference, not realizing all of the, the other interconnected parts and it's there's a joy there in in finding that out you know um i would say the same the the food the music um i like i i love the way um we all party so we take pride in just putting com family coming together and you know all the cousins coming the loudness yes we are very loud and and we uh we love to express ourselves <laughs> um and also the term of endearment um it may be different but like for us, we um, we bless, you know, siong abuela, siong mama, like things like that. And I noticed that um, everyone else does it as well. It just, it may be a different term, but there's a respect for the elders. Um, so I, I like that. Yes. I don't know about you all, but tell me, I had like 20 aunties growing up. I had to like really work this out with my mom. I need to know who my real aunties are because I say auntie so often we had to work this out later on it's like so are they really related to me <laughs> but it's that same sign of respect that you're talking about as well too you know um you also so we're talking about the segment is revolves around the idea of living in between worlds and something you mentioned Josie when you spoke about the loudness even the term the loudness when 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 we get together and you know we're being fully ourselves and fully who we are uh and the joy that is contained there 
have you experienced that sort of clash of cultures living in America? Because even as you say the loudness, it being perceived as loudness compared to what what the prevailing norm is. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like in spaces where you felt now, because you are from one world culturally and you're living in another world, a, d- a different culture. Uh, and have you f- experienced that sort of clash uh, growing up and how did that make you feel? Um, yeah. yeah, I guess growing up, it didn't, um, I didn't see the difference until I brought um, friends around my family, right? And then when they would say, you know, you guys are really loud. To me, it was normal. Um, it was normal. So I, as I got older, I started to realize, you know, it could be um, intimidating for some, you know, um, and being the fact that, you know, some of my aunts, uncles are very blunt. Um, and so I guess for me, it would always be preparing my friends to come around my family. Um, so it was always the conversation, okay? If if grandma says this, she doesn't mean it. This is what she means. This is how she shows love. And, you know, if you, we're not fighting. <laughs> we're loving each other. Don't worry. We'll, it, it's funny. Um, Just recently, my grandpa passed and my cousins went out there. Um, and this one cousin, she's just reconnecting with us. And I told um, one of my older cousins, I said, listen, pull her aside and explain to her uh, when things do seem to to be getting going left, kind of put her on to what's complete, what's happening. You know, they may be arguing right now, but two seconds later, they're going to embrace each other, love each other and forgive each other. You know, just let her know so that she doesn't react, respond emotionally. Um, so it's, it's just always been for me in uh, preparing people for what they're about to enter. You know, very similar to what you're saying, just like that notion of people perceiving like, oh, you're yelling or you're screaming. And I'm like, no, this is how we talk, you know, or the fact that they're like, you speak really fast, right? Like, even when we're speaking English or Spanish, like the pace of our speech. Um, So just kind of saying, oh, this is sort of like those cultural, like, you know, things that happen because we may speak fast to each other when we're talking, um, but very similar to what you say, just having to, to explain. Um, I think maybe sometimes when we go out to restaurants, right, or in different spaces, I'm like, use your indoor voice, maybe like how we kind of do with yeah, with younger um, kids. But that hasn't really been an issue, I think, because I'm from New York. I feel like New York in general, we're very kind of loud and like in your face sort of people. <laughs> so I think it hasn't been like really an issue like in, in this setting. You know? Has there been any sort of, because um, I, I want to stay on the loudness a little, just because we're talking about the differences in culture. And as we move into uh, corporate spaces, that being perceived, the idea of being perceived as extra, the idea of being perceived as you're doing a lot, you know, like all of those, you know, this, this is, this is a lot you need to tone down and it's not always said, but it is definitely conveyed to you. You know, have you experienced that within your workspaces, uh, because of this culture that you were, you know, that you were born into and that allowed you to fully express yourself, but having like this expression also causing this dissonance in, in workspaces. I think in the, on, in the professional setting in the workspace, uh, I would identify a little bit more with that, you know, when it comes to this notion of being uh, loud or extra, um, you know, even down to how you style your hair, right? I love to wear my hair big, 
Um, I love my hoops. Normally I'd, you know, I'd wear probably a brighter lipstick, right? Maybe like a nice pop of red because it just, it just makes me feel good. Like I don't, um, you know, in, in sales as I'm out in the field and visiting clients, I, I would live in my heels in a, obviously in a pre COVID world, live in my heels. It's just like who, who I am. Right. And so even like how I, um, how I interact with my clients, with my partners, just this like feeling of, of being um, this closeness, this like connection, this, this, uh, you know, this embracing of, of them as people and not as clients. Maybe that's what made me successful. I think in sales, because it's like, for me, I'm like, Oh, come here. You're like, I'm a hugger. (laughs) You know, it's like this, just this warmth that I think that we carry in ourselves as being, you know, uh, Latinas. And so that carries out into how you do business. Um, and, yeah, being very aware of that. And especially when you don't see other people in your space that look like you. And so kind of like this idea of like, oh, well, is that professional? Well, why would my big hair not be professional? Because it's because it's not straight, because it's not like smoothed down. Oh, do I not have get to wear my hoops because you don't think it's professional? Do I need to wear little studs instead? Or, you know, before when I was going out and getting my nails done, I don't do them anymore. But before the nails were part of my identity, I had gorgeous long nails and always a fun color. So this idea of like, oh, it's not a French manicure. I'm like, no, it's boring. You know, I want like, give me teal, give me like, you know, coral, like give me all of that is like part, like we love color. All of that is part of our identity. And so in the workspace, definitely there is um, a uh, a sensitivity to that. And there is like a clear um, contrast of of being other, yes. right? Being different, being exotic. Jeez, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> when did you find the freedom? When did you find that freedom to be like, oh, you are getting all of it. You're getting the here, you're getting the hoop, you're getting the lipstick. Because I think at some point you have to decide because you're getting the energy no matter what. But, you know, at some point you have to decide this is who I am and you're getting all of it. So when when did that happen to you? (laughs) Early on, I didn't know, I didn't know how else to to do it because it was me. And so it's like putting a lid on something and then all of a sudden this like lid is going to pop and it's like, you know, and so um, early on, and and but I also think that like we need to in the business world, I think we need to think of ourselves as a brand because we are a brand. How people see us, how they connect to us. So I used to just embrace it and be like, you know, even in my emails, like casual emails, it'd be like, hey, it's Joanna, remember me, girl with a big smile, giant curls, right? And people are like, yeah, because that's like it makes what it's it's what makes you different. So use it, and I think it helps you to stay authentic to who you are instead of trying to fit into this mold. Um, and, and that was in my adult years, once I, you know, started working like out of college in college, like it's still like going into internships and interviews and trying to like figure it out. Yeah. Definitely more toned down because that's what I would see all the other girls do. Right. And, and, but it just didn't feel like me. And it felt like by day I'm like this one person. And then by night I'm this other one. And it's, and you just can't, you have to live your life authentically. And this is all of it. So it's important. This is so to, good to for it. our listeners to hear because the idea of being authentic, it's, it's, it's harder than it sounds. It, it, it really is to show up as your authentic self. Um, and it really speaks to the idea of you are in between worlds, choosing to show up as who you are in both of them. You're like, this is who I am in your world. This is why I'm in my own world. And it's the only way I'm willing to show up. So yeah, yeah, Absolutely. 
I would say for me, um, it's interesting because I'm kind of like quiet and like reserved when you first meet me. And it takes a little bit of time for like, I guess, for people to, for me to warm up to people and just kind of let them in. So I think like overall, that's sort of become like my personality. But I remember that before I used to wear my hair straight a lot of the time. And a lot of that came from, you know, I know Josie mentioned this before about like, you know, this notion of like, pelo malo, pelo bueno, and like, you know, straight hair is not, uh, you know, considered good hair. And then, you know, curly hair is considered bad hair. So growing up, we used to always like, you know, do rollos and then like, you know, like have the hair just become, you know, um, sort of straight. Um, but now more so I'm like, okay, I'll go to hair with my hair, like just like wash and curl, you know, like just, you know, kind of like not really having this notion of like, I have to have straight hair and be a certain way, you know, that's not like work appropriate, but that my natural hair is something that I can embrace. And I think that, you know, the community, cause I go, um, I work at a, like a, a college that's very liberal, right. What you would call like a liberal college. Right. Um, and very much, um, focus on like inclusivity and trying to have people be their authentic self um so i think that having a community that kind of supports that where you can be your authentic self and not have to worry about trying to fit in a particular mode is kind of important and for you to feel like you can do that and you can step into into that so i think more so now i'm embracing that of like you know i can wear my hair curly and i don't have to always have it straight or i think for me like in terms of when I what I said about the loudness part, um, I think I to be true to myself, I need to express that. I think it's because some of my family members like communication. They don't know how to communicate well. So it's kind of like everyone screaming over the other um, sort of things. So that's where I'm coming back, coming from where it comes from that. Because, um, and I think to be true to myself, the it, there was never a time where I felt different from anyone else because that wasn't taught in my household, right? So like my mom, she's light-skinned and I'm the darkest on her side of the family. And I'm one of the lightest on my dad's side of the family, but I've never felt um, treated differently. Um, It was more internal things based on my relationship with my dad. So yeah, I just, I felt on my heart to share that. Yeah, no, no, Josie, we can we can even explore that a little more. The idea, because we haven't touched on it, even though it's it surrounds it, even in this discussion of Afro Latina, the idea of colorism and uh, different colors on that spectrum somehow being more worthy. Um, what was your experience of that? Like so far, like hearing from you all, you seem to have grown up in communities where you felt pretty uh, accepted. Uh, and, but did have you experienced that the the idea of colorism within those communities, within your families, within spaces? Have you ever not been Latino enough, like, or or you know how has how has this idea of colorism within the the Latino community and other communities as well, but specifically this community affected you? In terms of colorism, I grew up hearing family members, um, dark family members do that like so they would use terms towards uh african americans that were not nice so that goes back to like how negrita or negro is a term of endearment but there was a different term used um to identify black people which were identified as african american um and so it's i really i mean i wasn't a part of it and never thought it was okay never um thought it was okay 
Um, I just looked at it as ignorance growing up. Um, and, you know, I, I find that on my dad's side, you know, there's been, I, I identify as a self-hatred, but it, it just comes from trying to not identify with, um, as far as Dominican Republic, the difference between being Dominican and Haitian. So as going deeper into African, um, I don't even think they had the the awareness of how how like where their roots come from. Um, and to be honest, some people still to this day don't want to accept it, probably would never want to accept it. That's probably just going to die with that generation. Um, but to this day, I've, I've seen it and I'm, I'm hoping that it'll change. But that's just the reality of what I've seen. Um, yeah, so, I would yeah. say um, for me, in terms of the community, even now when I tell people, like I say, oh, I'm black. They're like, no, you're not black, right? So it's sort of like, and I'm like, so why am I not black, right? And them not being able to explain why to them I'm not black, right? Um, I think growing up, um, I know you mentioned, I feel like for me, it was sort of like, because I have friends who were African-American, but I, but it was sort of like, I'm not black enough for that community, right? So you have like people that are African-American kind of trying to disassociate yourself because of the differences in culture and also language. A lot of it was language, like this sort of notion, like, a black person speaking a different language, right? In general, it could be Spanish or Portuguese or anything, right? Because you have like Afro, you know, Brazilians who are. So it was sort of like not being black enough. And then now that I'm like, yes, I'm black and I'm trying to like take ownership of that. People like I would say in DR saying, no, you're not black because there's this notion that you anything close to black or identifying as black is not, um, is sort of like, not improving the race right they have this notion of like oh you have to improve the race right so marry a lighter person or um you know marry somebody with better hair or things like that right not that you know so those are like small microaggressions because they would say oh we're not racist those are not you know they're not consciously i guess trying to be racist but in those little kind of daily routines or things that they say culturally right like it kind of perpetuates this idea that anything close to black or trying to you know, um, be proud of that is not, um, is not good. So I think that's sort of like, where now I'm trying to say I'm black, and then they're trying to negate my me saying that I'm black, right. So um, and it doesn't happen just with Dominicans or you know African Americans, because my husband is Indo Guyanese, right. Um, so depending on how I wear my hair and the community that I'm in, when I'm around his family, you know, everyone thinks I'm Indian, right, not, not even Latina, or like, you know, black or anything, right? So it's sort of like trying to to say, no, I'm black. This is who I am. And be, people being okay with that, right? Like, that's what I'm having trouble. So now, like, having people be okay with that. I think that, uh, Jennifer, what you said goes back to something that we said earlier, right? That this embracing of being Afro-Latina is so much more of an American U.S. thing of this like being woke and accepting and wanting to be like, and we're curious about our roots and, and, and we're proud of our roots. Whereas older generations are not there yet, you know, especially if you are like from the motherland, like you are not there yet. You know, there is, there, there is a little bit of traces of like that self-hatred, you know, like you said, Josie, like not like, no, I don't want to, I'm not that. Or, um, you know, yes, totally. I've heard that like mejorando la raza, like you bettering your race, you know, and, um, even something as simple as like, um, 
making sure that you don't get too tan over the summer, right? Because then you become like really dark and you don't want to be really dark. So, you know, from things like that, you know, um, and then I identify with you, Jennifer, when you said about not fitting in, you're not black enough. Yes, I've, I have felt that in high school. It was a really weird time for me in high school because I was Latina, obvio, you know, I totally got that, but I wasn't in LA, I wasn't Latina enough, meaning like Mexican, because the majority of Latinas in my school were Mexican. Uh, a handful here and there. I had a friend who was Costa Rican. I had another friend who was Chilena. And it was like, like, and we became like really close because I was like, oh, you are other. You're not Mexican. Because for the Mexican, you know, girls, they were all into like, um, Mexican music and, 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 and mariachi and banda and all this stuff. And I like never grew up listening to that. So I didn't have like that relation with them. So I wasn't Latina enough. And then the black girls, I was definitely not like black enough because I wasn't into, you know, just like culturally, like, I'm going to say like urban black is what I'm going to refer to. Right. Like that just like, wasn't something that like struck with me. And I remember, um, one of them one day was like, uh, you know, they were just kind of like yeah, playing with my hair or something. And she made this comment, which I had never heard of or been aware of. And she's like, oh, she's like, oh, you got the good hair. And I was like, good hair. And it was like later it took some explaining for when someone told me like good hair versus like bad hair, like being curly. And because my hair wasn't like super kinky and bad hair, I wasn't like black enough. So there is this kind of trying to find your way and being in between. And, um, it is, it is, uh, there are distinct, um, lines there, you know, between cultures. Yeah. I think there, there seems to be an infinite, infinite number of lines between cultures. We just, you know, we have so many reasons for creating, um, for creating like separations uh, between each other. You were saying the idea of not being black enough or not, or, or, or not fitting in just, it, it even resonates with, with me on a different level. Cause even so you look at me and you, if you see me on the street, you think I'm African-American, I'm Caribbean American. And uh, I, I remember speaking to one of my friends and saying, I don't feel black enough to be in Harlem. Because Harlem feels like authentic black, like African American experience, and not know you talk about not knowing the history and the culture behind the the, the Mexican the Mexican American experience, and that's how I felt for a long time coming to America. It's like I'm, I don't feel black enough because you know I know you see me, but please don't ask me any history questions because I won't know. <laughs> You know, like I'm following the Harlem Renaissance. I could give you like the tidbits, but I, I've always felt like there was that sort of like a barrier to entry for me in terms of like African-Americanness in, in, in that way. So I totally get what you're saying in terms of that. Uh, to the, just to speak for the older generation in particular, it makes sense. It makes sense to me why they really feel like they want to distance themselves from anything Black because of uh, the trauma that was visited upon them it was so we could we have the freedom to be able to say you know it was the older generation <laughs> you know they didn't have their stuff together or you know but it, it 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 comes out of of the trauma of of being 
treated less than. So for your kids, even though it sounds like we could identify it as sounding racist and, you know, just being vitriolic in many ways, in their minds, they just want the best for their kids. And so if if the best for their kids and for their life means, you know, denying who they are or downplaying who they are so that they can get ahead, then that's exactly the road they had to take. And so sort of understanding that they lived in a different time that necessitated that because the trauma, it's its so difficult to undo the trauma that has been visited upon so many cultures, you know, as a result of, as a result of just slavery, as a result of just the different kinds of oppression. And it's so, so many years later, we're still trying to remedy that. And it's really good that in, uh, America right now, there is this sort of mode, like, no, we're taking it back and we're going to celebrate it because every part of us is worthy. And uh, it it, w- it would be great if we could somehow be able to share that with the older generation, um, but understanding that their experience of the world, they could never come to see that part of themselves as worthy. And I think uh, when we go back to the term Afro-Latino, when you were mentioning about the Harlem Renaissance and the African-American experience, I think that's what Latino, at least for me, does. Like the word, you know, the term Afro-Latino, which is like I can still acknowledge my, you know, African experience or the experience of the diaspora and know that it's different from the African-American experience, even, you know, though we're one community, right? So it kind of like, it was like an entry point, right, into that conversation into that community because you know it was just like you know the slave ship just got dropped off in a different island or a different country with people speaking different languages right but that whole experience of like slavery jim crow everything that happened historically to like the african-american community like growing up like latina it was kind of like why you I, i felt that i was in between worlds right because you couldn't really you don't know that experience you don't come historically your family didn't go through that experience so it was hard to kind of fit like you could fit into that narrative, right? Um, but then acknowledging, okay, there is this other narrative in Latin America and African people in those countries, right? And what does that mean now that we're here in the U.S. and learning about U.S. history and everything Black people went here and, and the histories of those countries. So I think that Afro-Latino kind of helps you enter the conversation. There's also definitely been a clash between those sort of two worlds in terms of uh, uh, African-American experience and the the Caribbean-American experience insofar as uh, the Caribbean-American not feeling that this is not fully my experience and wanting to see your experience validated as well, too, because you're in a you're in a new space and uh, identifying as black comes with its own history in America. And so being able to being able to set yourself apart and saying, yes, I am, but there is, I have my own, I come with my own uh, history as well. And I want that validated. And so it's, it's sort of navigating those two worlds as well. Can I um, share as far as the older generation? Um, I think that it, it has, to, I think the difference between, this is not what you asked, but the difference between the older generation and um, let's say us is the, um, we're more aware of um, any insecurities, right? And willing to do the work, right? So we, I feel like this generation wants to, don't, doesn't want to, to, 
heal. You start by healing. And I say that because there was a time where I didn't like the color of my skin, but it was because of my father and my experiences that I had with a black man, my father. And so until I healed and processed and, and went through the emotions and forgiving that I needed to, I couldn't embrace um, the fullness of who I am. So I think that as far as the older generation, like you, you know, you ladies mentioned, their experiences don't allow them to embrace um, the Af- their African roots. And until they do the work and truly love themselves, it just it just mm-hmm. won't happen. I definitely think we're more self-aware. I hope we can claim that as our generation. Um, and, and that's a privilege, the privilege of being more self-aware, more more self-critical we can take a look at ourselves and uh, and and we're in a time when we can do that where you're not as persecuted and so therefore you have the luxury of of looking inward we're doing our own version of mejorando la raza right not by by um lightening the skin but we are doing the internal work and the healing of mejorando la raza uh, improving the race. So it goes so much deeper than, than your skin color. I like yeah. that. I like that. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, you, now we're doing our own version of that and hopefully you can bring about real healing and real interconnectedness because I wanted to take a moment to, to talk about, you mentioned that, uh, uh your parents, like one parent is light and one parent is dark and same Joanna for, you know, there's this, uh, there's this, uh, um, dichotomy even within the household with one parent being on the lighter side and one parent being on the darker side and you being grouped into the to the darker side. You're all negritos. How does, uh, like, what is the qualifier around you being, you know, put into one group over the other? Like, how does that come about? And um, did you just automatically accept it when it was first, you know, introduced to you? Um, as from my family, I was never grouped, to be honest. Um, I was never grouped in either or, um, like I said, it was more internal for me because I looked different when I went to each side, but I never felt a diff in terms of um, anyone addressed me as different. Does that answer your question or? Yeah. Well, it's even like, so. Like what determines lighter and darker? Like what determines white and black on this spectrum within the community? You know, is it just within your household or is it, you know? Well, I've never been considered black growing up from my outer community. Not in the lexicon, the TR lexicon. Yeah, I was never um, considered that. Uh, As far as what makes you black or white, for me, it was just the color of my skin. Um, when it came within my house, my household, my family. Yeah, I would say for me, um, the negrita meaning like the term of endearment in the household was because I was the darkest one in that immediate household. Um, So my mom, when you look at her, she would seem like a white woman. And then my siblings are like in different spectrums, but more on the lighter side. Um, It's interesting because my son now is like, you would say a white passing Latino, right? Like, and I'm black and I say I'm black. So for him, and when he talks about, well, yeah, mom, I'm black, you know, I'm also black um, and kind of what that means for him. But I remember this is probably off topic when he was a baby and I was in a store with him 
come and someone asked me if I was his babysitter. And I was just like, no, you know, like that, that was sort of like, you know, like to me, you know, I, I guess that was the first time I kind of like experienced something like that happening, I would say in the US because people usually don't really talk about it or they probably, um, but I know my mom has mentioned similar stories. Like um, when we went to DR when I was younger that she was with me and my cousins and they, and my cousins are lighter, like my mom. Um, and they asked her, Oh, who's that infiltrator in the group? Like this was somebody. And my mom said, Oh, I'm, actually, she's the only one that belongs to me, you know? So I can see it now because my mom's like a white woman with a dark baby. And then I'm a black woman with a, a white baby, right? And then sort of like, you know, that happened years when I was a baby. And then this happened to me in 2018, you know, in different countries, of course, right? But that kind of notion that you, you know, like you can't be black and be like a different shade or like, you know, or like the, the different spectrums and colorism, how you were mentioning, like, you know, like white women can have black babies or black baby, you know? Um, and that's interesting that it still happens to this day. And you have to kind of like, I think a lot of it is ignorance, but it's hard when it happens. You don't know how to react right to those things. Um, so that's my experience in terms of happening outside of the community or like what makes you white, what makes you black. A lot of it, yeah, it has to do with your skin tone and people can't really wrap, you know, like saying family can be different in terms of skin tone and, and even race, right? Like what they would consider themselves. Because I always tell my son, yeah, you're black because I'm black, but you know that you are a, a white Latino and you and that comes with privilege. You're, you're never going to be stopping frisk, at, you know, at a you know, when you're walking around in your, in your day, there's certain things you're not going to experience because of the privilege of your skin tone. Um, and that's a lot of the conversation I have with my family when it comes to politics or other things. Like there are things that you don't know how I feel in my skin just because of being black. If I don't open my mouth or say anything, I'm just another black person in this community. Right. And those are going to be things that you're not going to experience because, you know, the way you look. Yeah. I identify with, um, with Josie, you know, growing up, I don't feel like I was grouped. I, I certainly didn't have that experience in my family being grouped as, as, um, as Negrita. That, that wasn't something like I fully embraced and really uh, like even understood like the term for like Afro Latina, right? Like, and like this community of being Afro Latina until I was much older. Um, and again, because in high school, I was Latina, but like, I didn't even get to fully express that because there weren't, there wasn't a lot of acceptance of like me being Latina. Right. So if anything, you know, to be quite honest, it was kind of like being a little bit of a chameleon, like acting a little bit more. I mean, I went to my high school, all, private, all girls high school in LA, predominantly white. So, you know, acting more white. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. And I think, um, I, and, and even in college, you know, I mean, I, one of the things I will never forget hearing was someone telling me, and this is like in a professional setting being like, wow, oh my gosh, I just love the way that you speak. Like you don't even sound Latina. And that was like, so jarring to me being like, what does that even mean? And how is this Latina supposed to sound? And is it because I speak well and I'm educated and I'm eloquent and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like that is so sad. If you cannot associate like being Latina, being possibly being those things. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I think it's as I've gotten older, I've been embracing of the term as I've learned more about it. And like, there's more of this pride about it. And people are talking about it more. And, you know, definitely um, more of what I would consider like a movement and to, to say, yeah, that's me. Oh, my gosh, I am like Afro Latin. I'm a little bit of this and that, but still in within um, within the U.S. It's a very different experience in the U.S. So different. Joanna, it's so funny, as you said, that we don't often realize how much we're being pulled outside of the norm of who we are. Because even in that interaction where you're like, oh my gosh, you don't even sound Latina. It's, it, that was a compliment you were being paid. You were being paid. It was an they were, they were lifting your spirits up and making you feel better by telling you, you don't sound like your community, you know? You should be proud of uh, of this, and uh, and you're being praised. You're being praised for divorcing yourself from, or 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 having that ability to sound other than the community that you're you're from in general. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, it it was said in those terms, you know, because it was talking about just kind of. Um, uh, appealing to, to to the masses and and not scaring people away and being kind of um uh like yeah r- relatable for everyone and, and just like before they they met me in person they're like oh my gosh wow I <laughs> I didn't know you were Latina oh my goodness you 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 don't sound Latina and it, it yeah blew my, my mind in so many different <laughs> there's only one it, sound yeah, for Latina <laughs> Right, right. And just like, so that plus the fact that, and I know that it was meant as praise because it was like, you know, you present so well, you speak so well, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. But the fact that like, you think that, uh, you know, that one, that all Latinos speak the same. And two, that like a Latino, Latina wouldn't be able to be that. That is the part that is so well, I think we have, we definitely need a lot more conversations around that. So my version of that would be in college and a friend going, um, and this at the time I did take as a compliment because I have really come very late to the game that I did not realize. I say this in almost all my podcasts. I really didn't realize that America was so, had so many race issues. Like I thought, I really thought we were on the other side coming out of it. Not like we were still in the mud, like crawling out, you know? So I thought it was like racism light. You know, if we could, I thought we were more on that end. And so I remember the phrase, um, it was like my first or second year um, from coming out of the Caribbean. And they were like, Antonavia, <laughs> you are so not black, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's the same experience that you mentioned just now with. And if I am honest, I don't know if I had a problem with it then. Because I was so busy trying to be the best black person I could be, if that made sense, like to prove, I didn't realize I was trying to prove this, but I was trying to prove that I'm not like, let's say the other African-Americans that, you know, I'm, I'm here to work. I'm here. So all of those subliminal messaging that I brought with me from the Caribbean, I was already trying to prove that. So when he said that, I don't even think it registered to me. It was just like it said, it, it was said in passing and we kept moving. And I was like, oh, that's nice. He recognizes my work. He recognizes my, you know, my otherness that I'm trying to create for myself because I understood that what blackness represented in the wider scheme was not a good thing. So it was necessary for me to move beyond whatever that was. 
And so similarly, to, but, but I think there needs to be a conversation and a reckoning with, you can't say those things because you need to make room. You need to make room for other ways of being in, in, in college, in, 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 in workspaces and corporate spaces, because right now it's still, it's still not happening. It's still not happening in, in, in the ways that I believe that it definitely should be, you know? So that just sparked a little, I was like, yeah, I remember that feeling. Um, and we think it's a one-off, but it, it's very pervasive throughout all of our institutions and whether it comes across as a nice, you know, compliment, there's the other end of it. You know, there's the, there's the other end of what that compliment means. And it's not so nice for anyone in the community. I'd like to add something, if I may, just a, a quick something specifically about the workspace. One of, I think earlier you had asked, um, how are we showing up at, at work? What are we doing about that in our in our um, professional lives? And, you know, it is up to us when we have the opportunity, when we are in leadership roles, when we have these platforms to elevate our community, to amplify these voices. And so I am very cognizant about that, you know, as I'm the executive director of a nonprofit global organization um, for, for people in the professional sales space, you know, we have platforms from podcasts to webinars to to massive annual conferences. And it is important that the people in these um, positions are not just what is dominating our industry, which is white, older males. That really is it. And so oftentimes when I hear, you know, um, this is not to take away any of their talent, their merits or anything like that, but it cannot be possible that out of the hundreds of thousands of professionals, right? When you list top 100 women in XYZ industry, if you look at typically the people who are winning these awards, it's always white males and it's just not possible. And so um, I think that in whatever capacity we have, we have to try to, to even the playing field. And so what that means for me is seeking out these voices, these these marginalized voices, right? And being able to say, let me give you a platform because the world needs to see what you're doing and that it is not just, you know, um, a, a certain type of, of people. And it, it's up to us to do that in whatever means we can. So in the political realm, um, I, so I could share my experience at where I work at now. Um, it's mostly Dominicans in the area. And so when I do speak Spanish, it's, I get the, well, where, where did you learn Spanish at? So it's not, are you Dominican? It's just, where did you learn the language? Um, which I find to be a compliment because I've always felt stuck between two languages. I've never mastered English, never mastered Spanish. So I'm like, oh, well, you find it to be great Spanish. So thank you. Um, but also I've seen in the political realm. Um, so let's say if you choose to run for a position or something like that, and um, predominantly Hispanic um, Latino community, if your name isn't Spanish enough, you may not get uh, the vote of the people, right? So um, I've seen too, for the person that I work for, the first question is, is well, where's, where's he from, right? And so they, it's like they get, uh, based on your name and where you're from, now I can trust you as in forget about what policies you're bringing to the table. I can relate to you because your name sound, you know, your name is Hispanic, um, which is sad, but, you know, it's just the reality of, of where we are. And I see that a lot constantly having to explain, well, 
this person's grandparent or father is from such and such and was born in such and such place. And it's like, okay, well now tell me more. <laughs> so um, like I've been told to like, maybe you should run for something because you, your name just, it, it's, it sounds good. I, I think you'll get votes because of your name. So, and then you find people not, you know, they get married and they don't use their married, their, their last, their, um, last name, their husband's last name or wife's husband's last name because what? Because my name opens the door for me. My my Hispanic name opens the door for me. So. Within the community. Do you find, because I've heard this mentioned before um, from some of my um, Latina friends, that uh, there is a hierarchy within the Latina community. Or Latino community overall, in terms of Spanish speakers, uh, in terms of the language, like whose Spanish is in the hierarchy that that's deemed the best. We talk about the best here. Yeah, have you found that there is that hierarchy uh, within the community when it comes to language and when it comes to country of origin as well too? Uh, and have you had how has that uh, affected you? I think. For me, I've seen it in terms of like uh, Central and South American countries, right, versus Caribbean countries when it comes to like language and that conversation. Um, I think being from the U.S. is a little different because we speak Spanglish, right? <laughs> like a lot of times, right? There's like sometimes you can't remember that word in English, you know, so you throw it in in Spanish. And I think that's um, more so, I would say, from like East, um, I would say East Coast, like New York and like, you know, I would say like, uh, northeast coast that so you have that in terms of like the spanglish and that being the norm um that we've kind of taken over but i do see that when it comes to like the different countries themselves that there is this sort of hierarchy in terms of the language and what they consider like appropriate spanish which would be closer to like castellano or like spanish from spain um and i would say a lot of the latin american countries probably were ranked themselves higher than the caribbean or like you know than the caribbean countries um yeah so i think you know for me you know being from new york um i think because i learned spanish as a you know as a baby growing up and i did school in spanish for like the first three years of school and then also i learned it at um like the higher education level in, co in high school and then college is a little different because you're kind of learning it the way that it would be taught, like the, the traditional Spanish. But since I don't use it as much now, right, like that's not in my everyday kind of profession, you tend to lose a lot of that, like, you know, um, proper Spanish kind of. Um, so I've seen that come up that my mom herself would say, like, what's going on? Like, you grew up knowing Spanish. Like, that's not the way that you... So I see it more from, like, in the family that they kind of feel like you're losing your language or you're losing, you know... Um, and I, my son, like your um, daughter, Joanna, doesn't speak Spanish, right? So, like, my mom, it's like, oh, how could you let him lose the language kind of thing? Like, that being, like, a big part of, uh, of the culture. I think that on the West Coast, the majority of Latinos here are Mexican. And so um, definitely, it's unfortunate. There is totally this hierarchy. I mean, people may be uncomfortable about talking about it, but we see how it's portrayed in the media, yeah, right? Mexican-American equals gang members and, and, and drugs and this and that, you know, uh, it's prevalent. Um, that's the narrative that's, that's told. I mean, we saw it in our political scene, right? Absolutely. Like that is, is fed. Um, hierarchy. Yes. Um, 
any any uh, Latino cultures that have um, connection to European roots, unfortunately, will always be considered superior. A lot of that will boil down to South America. My goodness, um, because we don't speak Spanish. I grew up being definitely told you do not speak Spanish. Hablas castellano, el castellano. That is like the proper, the preferred, the more educated, you know, Spanish, because it stems from Spain. Um, there are de definitely some differences in, in words and so forth. But um, for the most part, you know, I would consider it like standard Spanish. I mean, it's it's not like a different language. It's just a, a little bit different in its, in its root. But there's a lot of pride about that in, uh, and I'll just say in Central, I'm sorry, in South America, because that's specifically what I know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, it's there, there's a superiority there for sure. Uh, I, I mean, even like, let's look at other countries like Argentina, who, and, and my goodness, their Spanish is a hundred percent identifiable because it's, uh, almost sounds like Italian. It's very sing-songy. Like even their double L's are not pronounced like, yeah, it's like a la ja, like, you know, uh, the it sounds very fancy, and there there is a feeling of superiority because they are definitely a lot more connected to their European roots. So, it's a real thing. I, I guess as, as um, Joanna was speaking, um, I remember I had a high school my high school my high school Spanish teacher. She was from Spain, and um, she has the same last name as me. And I noticed that she would pronounce the De La Cruz as opposed to De La Cruz. And so I realized that um, I I, did, I wasn't shown how to properly pronounce um, different words in Spanish. And I also have a coworker who speaks proper Spanish. And when it comes to translating documents, um, I've learned that there there are different terms that you use based um, based on the area. Let's say. Uh, because you can you can use a word that is too advanced that the community may not understand. So I've noticed the difference, in, I guess, in education level when it comes to um, the difference of speaking uh, Spanish. What would you like to share with the other with the, with the Latina community in general when it comes to this idea, this feeling of uh, uh, being in between worlds, like belonging to two worlds, like you mentioned. We spoke about culture, uh, country of origin. Uh, what would you like to share with those who currently feel like they are in between two worlds like yourselves? I feel like I have this motto, right, that I typically apply in, in a professional setting. Um, and it's that you don't have to be this or that. Actually, our value, our true potential is in being this and that. And so, you know, my background is is uh, is is diverse because I started off as a as a producer for film, TV, branded content, and then I moved into nonprofit and kind of in the corporate space and sales, etc. And before, I used to feel like, oh, I am I this or am I that? And I was like boxing myself into having this label and like my life has completed a full circle. And the reason I have the position I have now is because of all of these things that made me really good at, at, at what I do. And so it's in the same token, how we have to be that in all aspects of our lives, like not just in our career, in our personal lives, 
it is okay. It is good. We should be embracing of the fact that we don't have to be this or that. We can be, we are dynamic individuals with, with many layers to us. And that's what makes us special and unique. We should be embracing of, of, our, of our history, of our culture, of our dual identities, of being in the U.S. and being Latinos and everything that that comes with. So uh, be this and that. That's what I believe. Um, I would say just to be you, um, echoing with uh, what Joanne just said, just be you and embrace who you are, embrace your background, um, educate yourself, love yourself, love others, accept others. Um, and as well, don't ever feel like you need to box yourself in, right? Um, because then you're just being like everyone else. And I think that um, embracing the fact that you do bring something to the table. Um, you know, the color of your skin or your background gives you purpose um, and fulfill it. Fulfill it and fulfill it confidently. Um, so yeah, that's what I would, would say. I agree with both um, Josie and Joanna, just embrace it. Um, and I would say celebrate it, you know, like take a moment to like celebrate those aspects and things about your identity um, and kind of learn to love it, right? Like develop it, nurture it. Um, if you like Josie mentioned, do some research, learn more about it. If you want to learn more about different aspects and kind of like, you know, by doing that, it kind of helps you to see the diversity and embrace that in others, right. And other people, right. So it kind of takes away from this othering and, and helps everyone see each other as one whole community, right. Um, that you don't have to be this or that, like got to mention, and that in the end, we're just one whole, like humankind, right. We're all one population, one people. So I think that um, just celebrating it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you for participating in this podcast. I, I've learned so much and I'm really grateful for you spending the time, for you all spending the time with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us in this journey in pursuit of, uh, and this season we're exploring Blackness. This podcast has been powered by Mars Playhouse, a theater and film company dedicated to increasing the lexicon of Black plays and films emanating from the Caribbean and its diaspora throughout the globe. Thank you for your support in growing this podcast community. Don't forget to hit the like button and follow us on IG, Facebook, and Twitter at Mars Playhouse for details on upcoming podcasts and content surrounding the Caribbean and its diaspora.